Amen. Thank you, Miranda. Uh, not only is that a way to communicate, obviously, with those who cannot hear, it's a wonderful way to worship. And and I love to watch Miranda when she signs because she worships. Beautiful thing. Um, we are in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31 this morning. Um, read the scripture in a... In a Ask you to stand in God's honor. Romans 3, 21 through 31. You find it if you'll stand in God's honor. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law. No, but on that faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by his faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Master, thank you that we're here, Lord. Thank you for what it means that you love us. And as we take some time this morning, and Father, look at your magnificent truth of how deep the Father's love is for us, that he sent his Son. And Father, as we look at that awesome truth set forth in your word, speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, You know, we live in an age more and more where people don't understand God or his love because they don't know his love letter. They, they don't know the scriptures. More and more in our culture, people aren't encouraged to really look into the Bible to find answers and to find out about God. And so people come up with some ideas of who Jesus is and who God is that are not connected to the Bible. And there's nothing that feeds the soul like God through his word, the Holy Spirit. I want to take a minute. I asked uh, Thomas and Jeff, there's just a two-minute video of the guy, the man on the street. This is actually in South Florida. And a guy went around and he simply asked the question, who is Jesus? And the, the last one, obviously, there's a young lady who has been in the scriptures And God has grabbed her by the heart. 
But I want you to see these answers because this is this is who we're called to go to and to share. Because people don't know that God loves them, guys. And uh, so I thought it was worthwhile to take two minutes and, and, and look at this. So, uh, Here's the million dollar question, okay? This is your opinion. Who is Jesus? See, now, see, now you won't start trouble. It's a myth created by man in order to control society. I don't, I don't consider Jesus my savior or my spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader and right. one of the spiritual leaders I learned from. Who is Jesus in Who your opinion? Who was he? Who was Who he? Who was he? was a man. He was a man, okay. Absolutely. Your opinion. Jesus is... My opinion is everything around here. It's spiritual, everything, earth, water, fire, everything. Jesus is all that's good, all the things that are positive and affirmative in life. Uh, that's Jesus. I believe he's a higher power in the form of a man. Everyone else walking around, there's not another Jesus. There's just one. So, yeah, I believe he definitely did something. Yeah, uh, like on, Jesus like, is not a person. He's not a person, okay? Okay. So did you believe he was a man or just like some higher power or? No, I don't believe in. Don't believe he even no. existed? No. Okay. No. Jesus is um, our savior. Jesus is everything. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why um, we get to do the things that we do in life. He's my heart and he's what I speak through my poetry, through my work, through my everyday life. That's Jesus. As we opened up Romans 1, we were introduced to this guy, Paul. And God had grabbed Paul by the heart. He was he was trying to earn his way to heaven by being the top Pharisee, by doing the best job of keeping rules and being strict in his walk with God, trying to impress God. But then God met him on the Damascus Road and, and changed him, brought him to his knees and, and, and made him see, Paul, you, you're not good enough. You're, you're not capable of, of reaching God on what you do. And it was there that he came face to face with Jesus Christ. And he, he was changed. He was transformed. And he was sent out as a missionary to go to people who didn't know about God's love. And didn't know about God's plan. And didn't know what God was up to. To enter people's lives and give them hope. And so in Romans 1, he, he, he begins the chapter. And he talks about, I came to you because Jesus came to me. And guys, he's, he's made everything different. And, and so that's how he starts out in chapter 1. And, and then he closes chapter 1 by talking about what happens when people do not give God the glory and the gratitude that he alone deserves. Three times it says in the end of chapter 1 that he turned them over. He turned them over. He turned them over to a life where there's not truth. And it's tragic as you go through the end of chapter 1 and see what that's like. Then he comes to chapter 2 and he talks about judgmentalism. <laughs> you know, after you look at the end of chapter 1, you see what some of those people were doing who gave no gratitude and glory to God. And then you go, oh, 
Man, those people are low. Yeah, look at them. Glad I'm not like them. And he dealt with that in, in, in chapter 2. And, and then he went on next part of chapter 2 and he talked about legalism. And that's what happens when we begin to measure other people by our own standard. By what we think it looks like to be godly. By our set of rules. There's nothing wrong with the rules in and of themselves. But when we try to make everybody just like us because we got the key hotline to God. That becomes legalism. And, and Paul dealt with that through chapter 2. And, and, and then as we move on through the scripture. And, and, and this last part as we came together. We looked at the truth where he, he talked about the very heart of people. How it's, how it's messed up. How it's depraved. How we got a sin problem. A sin issue. And I couldn't help but think of Jeremiah 17, verse 9, where it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Hey, guys, the truth of the matter is, we have issues. We need a Savior. We need God in our lives. And that's what last week was about. Now we, now we get to this week, and man, I tell you what, it's hard for me as a preacher to just talk about how ugly we all are. I mean, after a while, you know, it's kind of a downer. Because the truth of the matter is, guys, I'm not just preaching at you. It comes back zing and hits me. Because I know what's in this old ugly heart of mine. And that's where we are. And I'm so grateful as he starts out in this section of the Scripture. As we come to verse 21. He starts out with these two words. But now. You see, it's a transition. He moves away from that emphasis of how ugly that sinful nature is and how there's that dark side in each of us then he comes and he says but now and look what he says he says now a righteousness from god apart from the law has been made known to us which the law and the prophets testify he says the law and the and the prophets that's not what saves you. But hey, but, but now there's a righteousness that they point to. And, and that's what we're going to talk about. And, and guys, it's, it's not a righteousness that comes through our performance. It comes through the wonderful, awesome person of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what Paul describes. Isn't it great that heaven's not going to be a place where people stand up there and brag about what they did? I mean, can you imagine what it'd be like if heaven was a place filled with people proud of what they did, their sacrifices? Well, I gave up coffee, or I gave up cigarettes, or I had to give up food. Look at me. Man, we can go on and on with the list, but that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. It's grace that taught my heart to fear. It says in the scripture we looked at in verses 10 through 12. Look at verse 10 there in chapter 3. There's no unrighteous. That's pretty inclusive. No one. Not even one. There's no one who understands. Hey, there's that dark heart. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. But then we come to this, this wonderful section of Scripture. He says, but now there's hope. 
There's a truth. There's good news to be shared. And we want to look at four truths that come out of this section of Scripture. The first truth is that it is a transfer of righteousness. Notice there in verse 21. He says it's apart from the law. It's, it's not a list of rules you check off. It's apart from that, guys. This righteousness is something different than that. And it's been made known. And the law and the prophets testify to it. They point to it. And, and, and so what it is, it's not something you inherit. It's not something you earn. It's something transferred to you. It is a righteousness that comes by way of the cross. It, it, it comes. And it doesn't come through through our efforts and our works and our sweat. It, it, it comes through the cross. I love what Peter Marshall, you say, he was chaplain of the U.S. Senate years ago. Uh, Peter Marshall, you say, there's a difference between being good and goody-goody. There's too many people out there, even in churches, that think what God wants is for me to be goody-goody. But there is a vast difference between goody-goody and good. Good comes when Jesus gets a hold of us. And, and we begin to understand that there's a righteousness that comes in Christ that is apart from the law, apart from the effort, apart from earning that he does. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I love it. It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And think about that, how awesome that is. The one without sin, Jesus Christ. He knew no sin, but what happened at the cross? He became sin for you and me. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. That's what this section of Scripture is talking about. That's the righteousness of God. It happened at the cross. There was a transfer at that cross. He took upon Him what was in me and gave me Himself. That's, that's, that's what happened. Second, it's a gift of grace. Look at verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's, that's what makes it fair. Uh, notice it says, um, there's no difference. He, 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 all of us are involved. He gives it to all of us. He doesn't pick and choose. It's available to all who believe. It's His awesome grace. And, you know, I think that's something we can never fully and totally wrap our mind around. How much He loves us. How deep and vast is that grace. How it's limitless. How it's unconditional. How it's to the full. I mean, he loves us. And Philip Yancey, in his book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace, <laughs> he, he speaks of how wonderful grace is. And he said at those times when we realize we definitely don't deserve it, he calls it loopholes. <laughs> that God provides those loopholes that we can't understand. And, and it provides a means of escape. And, and that he is at work. And, and I love it. He, he gives a section here from his book. He says that it's a one-sided picture of grace portraying God as a lovesick father eager to forgive and grace as a force potent enough to break the chains that bind us. He says it, it depicts grace in such sweeping terms it makes us nervous. And I concede I've skated to the very edge of danger. 
And he says, why? He says, because in the New Testament, the awesome picture of grace goes there. That his acceptance, his righteousness, his love is so powerful, so complete, so magnificent, it's beyond description. Now, he goes on and he says, he, had a, he shares a story of a friend of his named Daniel who uh, came to him and he, he said, uh, I have a question for you I want you to ask. You say God's grace is so amazing that he will forgive us anything. Is that true? He said, yeah. He said, well, I've decided I'm going to leave my wife for a woman 20 years younger. And I just want to make sure God will forgive me. And Philip thought, oh, oh, how do I answer this in detail? I don't want to give him some excuse to do this terrible thing. And I want you to listen to his answer here. Um, He says, how can I dissuade my friend? (laughs) C.S. Lewis quoted Augustine who said, God gives where he finds empty hands. Then Lewis noted a man whose hands are full of parcels can't receive a gift. Then Yancey wrote, grace must be received. Lewis explains that what I've termed grace abuse stems from a confusion of condoning and forgiving. To condone an evil, simply ignore it, to treat it as if it were good. But forgiveness needs to be accepted as well as offered. If it is to be complete and a man who admits no guilt can accept no forgiveness, ultimately, he told his friend that, yes, of course, God could forgive him, but he also challenged him with these thoughts. What we have to go through to commit sin distances us from God. We change in the very act of rebellion, and there's no guarantee we will ever come back. He said to his friend, you ask me about forgiveness now, But will you want it later, especially if it involves repentance? And he closes with a sentence. He says, consider what a tremendous risk God took by announcing forgiveness in advance. Wow. The power of his grace. Third, it's a display of love. Look at first part of verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Notice notice how the sentence starts out. God presented. It's God who took the initiative. And it wasn't us trying to desperately jump up to heaven. Boy, you know, I don't have that kind of leaping ability. God reached down. We couldn't reach up far enough. So he reached down and met us. I love Romans 8.32 that says. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him. Graciously give us all things. We all at some point give a portion of ourselves. We give some money. We give some time. We we've volunteer ourselves for some task to help. But God gave it all. And he gave himself for us all. Man, what a thought. What a thought, guys. That is. 
it is tremendous and it and it is amazing to consider when we think about the power of his incredible incredible grace um he goes on uh he says in verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and he says and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. As we think about that incredible redemption. There's a word here in verse 24. <laughs> freely. That speaks about the beauty of one who is a slave. And the word picture is of a group of slaves. And, and one at a time they're placed in the market square on the, a slave block. So they're up high. Is there a piece of merchandise about to be sold? And sometimes the heart of the owner. After the person had been a slave for a certain amount of time. Would, would be soft toward that slave, and, and he would choose to set him free. He would choose to pardon him so that he's a free man. And it is that word picture, it, it, it is the beauty of that, that that is shared in this text of Scripture. When it says, justified freely, it means that God has chosen to 100% completely, unconditionally free us through Jesus Christ. That. That is the power of that picture. That is the power of his justification. And that redemption came by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. As he presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. In other words, he paid the price in full. How? Through faith in his blood. It came through that faith. And as we think about faith. It is something that will Come later, but it is something to take to heart now. One day, as we trust him by faith in Christ, we are assured that one day at the time of death, God will take us into his care for all of time. And he'll love us and we'll be there with him. But it is also a picture of faith that we can trust him each day. And his grace is sufficient in each and every circumstance. And his power is there regardless of what we face or, or what comes ahead. God is there. Uh, Psalm forty-eight, fourteen says, for this God is our God. He will be our God even unto death. In, a, in other words, by faith we can trust him. What he says is true and, and is trustworthy. And, and so the picture there is to place that full, confident trust in him. Notice what it says he did. He, um, it goes on. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he left the sins uncommitted beforehand unpunished. There were those that said the sinners that, that abound, God is not punishing them. He is not showing them mercy. He, he is not dealing with their sins. And there was that type of criticism. And in the scripture here, Paul goes on to write under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said those sins committed beforehand unpunished. He said he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
So he said, at the cross, all sin in the past, all sin committed in the present, all sin to come was paid for in full. That condemnation, that sense of God not dealing with sin, he dealt with it there. He dealt with it at Calvary. That was where it was handed the final blow of defeat was there at Calvary. That, that, that's what the scripture's teaching. He goes on and, and uh, verse 27, he says, where then is the boasting? As I started, it's not about boasting except in Jesus. I love that verse where Paul says in Galatians 6.14, he says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the only thing to boast in, he says. In Galatians 6.14. And here, as he comes, where's the boasting? He says, it's excluded. What principle? On that of observing the law? No. But on that of faith. On that of placing my complete trust in Jesus Christ. He goes on. He says we maintain what? A man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. By placing my confidence in Jesus did it and it's done. (laughs) Verse 29. Is God the God of Jews only? No. He's the God of Gentiles too. He reaches out to anyone who calls to him guys. As it says in Romans 10 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of your background. Regardless of your mess. He loves you. He'll save you. He says, yes, of Gentiles too, right? Since there's only one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith? He says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? No. The the law is not nullified. It's not empty. It's not made void. It's completed. Because the law and the prophets point to the righteousness of Christ that was completed at Calvary. It's all fulfilled there. It all comes together when we come to Him. That's, that's, that's the truth that, that's, that's being so powerfully shared. And it's in Christ. Hey, I, I close with this example that talks about the fact that it's not just in the day to come. It's daily that His grace is there for us. Uh, John MacArthur uh, uses this analogy. He said there was this guy. Didn't have much money. His dream was to go on a cruise. So he started saving his money to go on this cruise. And it was tough because he didn't have a lot of extra money. A lot of time passed. He got excited because he just about had the money. He, you know. And finally, he got the money and he got his ticket. But there was a problem. This, this guy, he was so poor, he said, I don't have enough money to be able to get food. So he went to the grocery store and bought him a big loaf of bread and some peanut butter and jelly. He said, I'm, I, he said, I'm just so happy to be on the cruise. I don't mind peanut butter and jelly. Well, he got on the boat. It was great. He's on the boat. And he'd sneak back in his room, make his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. This went good for about two days. He started smelling that food. Well, you know, that food on the cruise ship is good. He thought, I got to have some of that food. Suddenly, that peanut butter and jelly sandwich was tasting like cardboard. And so, he found a porter and he, he went to him and he said, i got to have some of that food. I'll do anything. Washing dishes, any kind of work on the ship. He says, just tell me, i got to have some of that food. And he said, well, sir, do you have a ticket? He goes, yeah. Pulls out his ticket. He said, well, when you bought the ticket, it included your meals. 
He's like, really? Yeah. He said, you've been able to eat here all along. And MacArthur goes on to say, that's the way a lot of Christians live. I just want to get on board. I just want to be a part of God's family. But then they're living on these, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches instead of the deep riches of His grace. Instead of feasting on His blessings. Instead of knowing that God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. And that how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things. This is a message so needed. Not just out of the church, but in the church. When we begin to grasp His depth of His grace and His love in us, how can it not go out through us to touch a world? Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for an opportunity to be together. And we've been able to sing to You, to give to You, to pray to You. Father, it's all been to You. Father, I pray that as we leave here, we would continue to give to you whatever you call us to, Lord. And that brings us to this time to stand and sing and respond. What do you want of us, Lord? Maybe there's something heavy on our hearts that we need to come to this altar and to pray to you. Maybe there's an issue that is heavy upon us that you're calling us to deal with today before your people. Say, God just wants me to just deal with this and get it right. And I, and I want to tell you, because you love me, and God says in his word, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Because we need each other's prayers. And uh, Anyway, God, maybe there's one here. and Lord, they've been working really hard. They have some impressive sweat for Jesus. But... Uh, it's not our sweat for Jesus. It's Jesus' sweat for us that makes the difference. And Maybe they've heard that today for the first time. This is for that person. It's for you to come to receive his gift, his grace. Father, we just come to you. This time is precious and it's yours. And so if you're calling us to be obedient in some way, Lord, my prayer is that we will be obedient. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.